the relationships that I've had ever since I've been down that path of actually sharing my full open self has been so beautiful, nurturing, trusting and kind and compassionate. We are all carrying weight with us through our experience that we're having. We all go through this life, which we all know that is a roller coaster. We cannot always be 100% performing strict executives that are always rational and logical because we are feeling beings and we cannot deny this to ourselves. I'd like to ask you some questions. Do you consider yourself the kind of person that gets things done? Are you able to take a vision and transform that into action? Are you able to align others towards that vision and get them moving to create something truly remarkable? If any of these describe you, then you, my friend, are a leader, and this show is all about and all for you. Welcome to the Sweet on Leadership podcast, episode 23. Hey, everybody, welcome back to <laughs> Sweet on Leadership. We're already having a bunch of giggles over here. I'd like to welcome my special guest, Hannah Ballhausen. Hi, so happy to be here. Oh, great. And I'm still working on the pronunciation. I'm just going to go ahead and own that fact, but I'm doing my best. Dear listener, we are in for a treat because not only do we have an amazing person in front of us, but we get to say that this is her very first time being on a podcast. And I am so honored that you chose to let me introduce you to the world in this way. Oh, thank you so much, Tim. I'm super excited, a little bit nervous, but I'm super stoked to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. Well, you have so much to offer and you have such a delightful way of doing it. And that's one of the things that we're going to get into here. So maybe we could start, though, by just give everybody a bit of a snapshot of who you are right now in the world. Well, right now I'm sitting where actually everything began. So I'm back at my parents' place for a couple of days before I'm traveling on. So recently moved to Cayman Islands. So I'm always going, yeah, in between here and there, up and down across the world. I'm a global citizen now. But I grew up what used to be the GDR, the German Democratic Republic. Or basically, like I always say, I grew up in a forest. And I mean that quite literally. It's quiet here, very quiet. It's snowing um, a lot outside right now, but um, this is where my journey began. And once I was 18, I obviously packed all my things and ran away. Since then, I have got my background in management and corporate sustainability, worked in different leadership roles and specialized myself in diabetes over the recent years, got my own company now, which I'm very, very proud of and get to work with lots of amazing people all across the world in the diabetes space. And you usually will find me either exercising or somewhere in a deep, meaningful conversation or in my kitchen near my fermentation station. And <laughs> yeah, that's me in a nutshell, I would say. Well, you certainly have an effervescent personality. So you and fermentation go side by side. Anyway, with that in mind, as we were sort of getting set up for this conversation, and I should mention, for those of you that are paying attention, you'll realize that we previously had Greta on, and she's also involved in the diabetes space. And your introduction to me actually came through her. 
So thank you very much. And we'll put a link to her episode down if you haven't listened to it, because it's also a lot of fun. But focusing in on you, as we were getting set up for this conversation and getting to know one another and, and talking about our different viewpoints on the world and whatnot, we lit upon this part of your identity that is really, really fascinating. And I'll let you speak more of it, but I'm really referring to the, the idea that you feel you're a person that is highly empathic. You're, you're a person that can empathize with others, that has deep feelings of their own. And when you first brought that up to me, in some small way, there was some indication that in the past that's been seen as a weakness. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe you can take us back and talk a little bit about how do you conceptualize largely the importance of emotion, empathy, authenticity in your professional or personal life? What's your relationship with it? That's a, a lot of points that you just uh, mentioned there. Let's, let's, let's narrow down to one. So if I was to ask, what's your relationship with being a high emotive or being an empathic person? I would say it's mostly a loving relationship, but sometimes can go a little bit down the love-hate relationship as well, because it is also exhausting to feel a lot and to feel so much, but I wouldn't want to change it for the world because I feel that it makes me connect on a deeper more authentic, trusting level with the people that are around me. I also made it my personal purpose to spread joy in the world and spread the message of feelings are your superpowers in the world, because I think that's what it is for me. And I can be a better, healthier human being, allowing myself to feel the things that I feel and to explore them, even though they're not always good things, but they all have purpose, they all belong. When we think about certain workplaces, and I have lots of clients that are in what I would consider linear vocations. They're in vocations that are highly logical, they're, they're straight ahead, they can be very quiet workplaces, they can be very serious, they can be very uh, academic in nature. And in all workplaces, accessing our feelings and whatnot, it's not always safe or it doesn't feel like the norm. For those that are listening and may not yet fully understand how we're defining this, how would you like to paint a picture of a person that is on this emotional spectrum? How are they presenting themselves in the workplace? What would you actually observe? In your mind? So for me, I've obviously connected with other highly emotional people in my work life as well. But I, of course, can share mostly my own experience of how I think I'm presenting myself. Sure. And the relationships that I've had at work in my recent career, ever since I've been down that path of actually sharing my full open self with the world has been so beautiful, nurturing, trusting and kind and compassionate. We are all humans. We are all carrying weight with us 
through our experience that we're having. We all go through this life, which we all know that is a roller coaster. We cannot always be 100% performing strict executives that are always rational and logical because we are feeling beings and we cannot deny this to ourselves. So I'm incredibly blessed and so, so excited to even hear when I'm now connecting with people that I've worked with and I told them, oh my God, I'm having this amazing opportunity of speaking about having a kind and compassionate leadership and leading with the heart to someone on a podcast, to the amazing Tim Sweet on the podcast. They've all come back to me and they all said like, oh, this is why I loved working with you so much because I could, I felt like I could be myself around you. And I feel this is like, for me, the nicest compliment that my efforts of trying to create a safe work environment, a trusting work environment are actually successful and people, they connect with me. And I hope that this will be much more the case in also other environments. And this was, by the way, a research environment. And I was incredibly blessed to have such a fantastic team around me that were all very open as well and, and shared there every day. And, you know, it's totally okay to stand up in the morning and be like, hey guys, I really do not have a good day today. This and that happened yesterday. And I mean, you don't always have to share specifically what happened. But sometimes it also connects you when you actually say like, my dog died and I'm not feeling well and I'm, I, I might have to take out a couple of days today. And usually the answer is not like, oh, how dare you? It's like, oh my God, are you okay? Why are you even at work? Take your time. It's okay. That happened to me a year ago. I know how you feel. Let's have a tea and talk about it. I mean, there is this pressure for many people at work that they feel that they have to leave it at the door. And that's a belief that's it really has survived for generations now in the workplace, is that you're not meant to bring your home life or your personal experience into the job. You're there to do something, you know, buckle down. We're not here to deal with those issues. That's the pressure. And so as a result, we have people of all different emotional ranges that find that they can't bring these feelings up. And the one thing that I would like to say to anybody who's out there who's listening is that I've worked with a lot of people, thousands of people on teams and leaders and whatnot. And the ones that think they've got this locked up the most or are trying the hardest to never let it out are the ones that show it the most. They don't necessarily show it in terms of emotion. They can bottle something up. And then eventually that's where we'll have a blowout. It's like too much water behind the dam. And then finally, when it does come out, it's, it's dramatic. It can be very, very off-putting. It can be violent even. Uh, it can be verbal and very, very messy. So we can have these blowouts. The other thing is maybe a person is very good at, at controlling it, but it comes out in other ways. It can come out in sternness, impatience. It can come out in labeling people. It can come out in all of these ways that really have nothing to do with the external. They are largely intrinsic in nature. And it's that person's own struggles with their situation, their identity, their beliefs, and all of these things 
that are bubbling up to the surface in ways that they didn't intend. So I think one message that I have to most of the leaders I work with is you're not as good at holding all this back as you think you are. It is very, very possible that it's going to come out at some place because you are under tension and that tension with whatever you're feeling has to be resolved in some way, shape or form. So we can either deal with that on the surface or we can hold it back, which is why I think it's so encouraging when you say that when you finally tell somebody that your dog is sick or something has happened, they will rally around you. And human beings are, are meant to do this. We are programmed to be communal. We are programmed to support our compatriots up, right? Has that been your experience? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, with those people that you just described that bottle up, there's the saying, hurt people hurt people. And it's so accurate. And there's also been studies now that are showing that if you're not sharing your emotions and your feelings and your not great at emotional regulations, all of that can actually lead to not just, you know, mental health problems and depression. Physiological It problems. can actually yeah. exactly also present physiologically. And it's not worth it. It's really not worth it. And like you said, people rally around you because at the end of the day, no matter how stern or how executive, cool, powerful. We want to present. Stalwart, stoic. Yeah. Like, we yeah, are all yeah. humans at the end of the day. And evolution has put these emotions inside of us. They serve a purpose. Mm -hmm. They are meant to be there and they're meant to be felt. And they help us in so many ways. Decision-making, like the very famous gut feeling. There's so much about that that is so true and so powerful so I think we should all tap in to use it more. I said stalwart, and I also said stoic in the same sentence. What's really interesting about the idea of stoicism, we hear this a lot. There's a resurgence in stoicism, which is excellent. However, that word in particular is misused. It's used typically in terms of like unshakable or strong and this kind of thing. Whereas really when we think about the pursuit of stoicism, I don't want to go down this path too much, but it's a great example of how the word has been co-opted. There's one thing to say about rational control, but that doesn't mean that we impede useful emotions. It doesn't mean that we stifle someone's virtuous expressions, you know, and, and we have to be accepting of these things and understanding that there is no sense in covering up reality. And when we look at emotional constraint, if it is an effort to mask reality, then not only are we not being logical, but we're also not being authentic that this is something that we're, we're dealing with. And so the new manager, in my mind, the new leader and the new expectation on leaders and where some people, frankly, are being left in the dark and in the dirt they're being left behind is that there is power in emotions. And you and I have talked about this. So I'd love your thoughts on that. What's the power? What's the benefit that people unleash when they come to terms with and are the owner of their emotions? So the power is for me, obviously yeah. I have so much more joy in life. 
a lot of energy and I look at the world always in wonder like a little child that sees for the first time the sky turning red at sunset or sunrise. Feeling a lot can be exhausting, like I said earlier, but I wouldn't change it for the world. It's also in the terms of relationships with friends and also my husband. I think that I have quite meaningful, deep relationships with the people around me because I always openly share how I'm feeling about certain things, even if it's sometimes a bit more difficult, but this is where trust comes in. And I believe when you have a open, authentic, emotional expression with your loved ones, it'll only just grow trust more and lets you have a more genuine human connection. It combats loneliness because you are connecting to people so much. And loneliness, by the way, we all know since the pandemic is on the rise and it's really getting a big problem out there as well. It combats, I think, depression and anxiety somewhat as well because you're openly sharing how you're feeling even in your darkest hour. And I think in the workplace as well, it's beneficial because from my experience, I think I created a safe team environment where people hopefully love what they were doing and working towards a common goal together as a team. So I think it also creates a deeper bond in the workplace with your team that you are leading and that you're having around you. And they are much more likely to actually hop onto a task and you get them to buy into the goal that you're setting, the strategy you're setting. So I think tapping into your feelings and tapping into that potential of that power, it only expands you as a human being and it expands you in your space and things come to you as well when you're just open and vulnerable. Like opportunities, like getting to speak on a podcast about it. (laughs) And there's lots of other good things, which we'll talk about in a minute that have come to you through this exploration. So we've established, at least in part, that openness and the expression of our feelings and being at peace with our feelings can lead to inclusion. It can help us in terms of health, both physical and mental. Um, And loneliness is not a small subject. I mean, the feeling of loneliness is not that far away from, from nihilism and, and if we're alone and we're not sure why we are in the world, it can lead to some pretty dark feelings of what is it all for. And the, the interesting thing there is a life without feeling, a job without feeling, is a series of connected tasks. We can go and we can do and we can execute on something. But that's just the doing of something, right? Whereas the living, living a life is feeling a life. It's the feelings we get through all of these different situations. There was an excellent thing that I just read and it talked about the idea of, and what we're seeing in Alzheimer's and what we're seeing in memory generally and the loss of memory that we've had in childhood and things like this. We may lose the facts, but we rarely lose the feelings. We may lose the pure context of what happened, but we don't lose the feelings, right? And that, our life is an expression of one feeling after another. One event that 
that yields an emotion that leads us to another event that yields an emotion. But oh man, if we were to live, if we were to live life without feeling, it would be like turning down all the colors and just living in a gray world. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so nice to hear this from you because you're a man at the end of the day, right? And especially... Jury's out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and especially, you know, for men to express their feelings, I think is a whole nother ball game than for us women to stand there. And there's been studies where showing emotions is, you know, that word unmanly. And where we now see also the results of that, there's actually higher, way higher suicide rates in men than there are in women. And the highest suicide rates of those are in Africa, specifically Sub-Saharan Africa. And I know that mental health care is is not really accessible there and also not very much talked about, but also Europe is, I think, second in the ranking. I think the statistic was 18 in 100,000 men commit suicide. And if only men were allowed to feel and if we could encourage them, little boys from, you know, small onwards, when they're babies, when they're toddlers, to talk about their feelings, to feel their feelings, wouldn't also the world be a safer place? I think so. I mean, the issue right now is we still have a culture where feelings can be weaponized and they can be weaponized against people and they can be weaponized towards people. And there is some, I would say, evolutionary reasons why men and women, and I'm talking about 500,000 years ago, where it was an evolutionary advantage for the hunter of the tribe or the warrior of the tribe or whatever you want to say to not feel an emotion in a moment and be able to go forward and do something. Now, this doesn't always have a place in today's society, but we have to remember that, I mean, we are still physiologically, we are still very much the same being that we were a hundred thousand years ago, right? Like we are, we haven't, we haven't evolved we're very, I say this over and over again, we're very dumb monkeys. Like we're very dumb apes. We sort of have, we, we're apes with choice, which we probably aren't really prepared for. But your point is not lost. Men do deal with this, are dealing with this on a cultural level. And I think that when we talk about wokeism or, or awakening and how important that is, that's not just an outward expression of understanding how other people are feeling and living their lives. It's actually an embracing of how we present in the world and how we're in, in, our, in between our ears. Even that, just saying that, I know is going to turn off a whole bunch of people that are listening to this because that is a scary prospect. To fully embrace what we're feeling and why we're feeling it what the histories of behind those feelings are and how much we may have been programmed or have given into certain things and to come to terms with that at this juncture in human evolution over COVID through the me too campaign around the George Floyd issues here in Canada, around the residential school issues, we've had to come to terms with how we feel about all of these things, environmental issues, I mean, the list goes on and on. The Middle East, Ukraine, all of these things come to the forefront. And if we don't talk about it on those levels, 
how do we ever get down to the truth of really getting down to why we think the way we think and why we feel the way we feel. So anyway, I mean, thank you, I think, but at the same time, uh, uh, we're rounding around to a couple of things here that I'd like to uh, steer us back towards. And that is we've outlined why this is interesting in the present and why it's helping you in the present. But would you be willing to go a little into your own personal journey with what it meant for yourself, how you framed being emotional as you grew up? And then what was your first experiences career-wise, school-wise that have led us to today? Because I think for some of the people that are out there, it would be very helpful for them to hear a journey someone else has taken. Take us back to as early as you'd like to go. Sure. So like I said, I grew up what used to be the GDR. So I'm a mm. post-war came down baby. So born in the 90s. Yeah. And my parents, specifically my dad, I think we have to go even big bit further back. He must have had also a terrible, terrible childhood. And they do say either you reproduce what happened to you as a child, your traumas, or you go a complete different way. Unfortunately, I got the reproduction side and my childhood and teenage years were not easy. They're a dark place that I don't often journey back to. But I do remember when I was a little child, I was never allowed to cry because apparently I was acting. And it was tough when you constantly get criticized and shouted at not to cry. So I always tried to suppress it so much so that I ended up hyperventilating, which usually made things worse because I was acting even more. Yeah, you're being even more dramatic. Exactly. Is the, is the accusation. So I learned from very early on that my, let's call them bad emotions, my negative emotions, me crying was bad. On the other side, from my mom's side, I'm gifted with a infinite pool of tears. So it comes from my granddad and it has comes from my mom. And now I'm gifted with this too. I cry at everything, be it happy, be it something, a moving conversation, be it little puppies on Instagram, being my best friends getting married, um, people being happy. I cry at those, I cry at everything. And um, my husband always says that's one of my superpowers. So we have like those two very polarizing effects that I grew up with in my childhood. And in my teenage years, I was so awkward. I was so weird. And I fully like ended up in depression. So I never really fully fit in this tiny place here that I grew up. And I was a, yeah, in a very, very dark place as a teenager. And you were in a dark forest. Literally, literally. literally. It's easy today to talk about it because it's a story that is part of me, but it just doesn't define me of who I am today anymore. So the more I talked about actually suffering through depression in my teenage years and sharing those feelings with other people, it made it easier for me to share the story. 
And when I was 17, this is when anxiety enters the room. You're about to, you know, finish school, head into this big, bad world out there. You managed to survive your childhood and your teenage years. And am I going to be enough when I enter society at large? Absolutely. What is that going to look like? Right, right. So I left the big, dark forest and took my... Literally and figuratively. (laughs) Yes. And I took my my anxiety with me. I kind of managed to overcome the depression and I ventured out into the world and I was in London. This is when I first kind of experienced fully-fledged capitalism and Liverpool Street with all its big buildings and everything that was there. And I ended up actually studying international business for my bachelor's. And again, I felt weird because it's business. So everything is business. And you get taught to be in a certain way and that your vibrant self doesn't have a place there. Your anxiety doesn't have a place there because you're obviously going to be a high performer. You're going to finish your bachelor's with the best marks. And oh, by the way, emotions do not factor in that. Yeah, right. The high performance and emotions, well, it's not not in the same category. Yeah, they totally don't go together, I mean. (laughs) Well, they do. I mean, this is the thing we're learning. Yes. They do. But at that time, in your experience, you slipped into the the cultural definitions of what high performance meant. Exactly, exactly. And then for my master's, I got the chance to study at a quite prestige university. It's a solely uh, postgraduate university. And I'm intensely grateful for this experience because I didn't come out just with a degree, but also with a husband and friends for life. (laughs) So uh, that was an amazing experience. But again, like I encountered these people that made you believe that when you study management and your only way is to enter one of the top five consultancies, that's your like goal. That's what you want to achieve. That's where you want to be at. And for that, you're obviously, again, you're going to be a businesswoman. You're not going to share your feelings. You're going to be tough. You're going to be hard. And you're just going to, you know, work 80 hours a week and sleep two hours a night. And then you're successful. And people actually sometimes told me, what do you want in a consultancy? Because I, again, was a bit weird for being a management student. And so here it comes. I enter the work world, work in a big corporate, an American corporate. And again, I don't feel like I'm fitting in and I'm trying to be different than who I am, toning myself down toning down my muchness, as I call it, trying to fit into the mold that they needed me to be a bit more great and colorful, uh, keep my private life outside, just be a corporate Hannah with clothes that I didn't like wearing and just to fit into that mold. And three months down the line, I had lockjaw, I had tinnitus and I muscled through two years because that's what they say, right? Your first job, you should keep it for two years if you want to make it in your career. And I muscled through and it, poor, it, it was not good. It really wasn't. No. It so really wasn't. You, the picture I have is you had a, a very conservative, you were in a small town, forest town, mountain town. Things were pretty 
in a box how things happened that came with consequences. And then you left the dark forest. You found this new divergent space where you could be yourself, meet all these different people, have all these different ideas, start to learn about your talents. And then as we start to to say, well, where are these talents applied? We're looking at one of the big firms. We're looking at traditional corporate, Western style corporate uh, environments. You're back into a gray risk-ridden existence where there's a whole bunch of shoulds of how you should be behaving yourself and what it means to be a professional at your level. You're back into a dark forest at that point. Absolutely. So you came out into the light for a bit and then you were back into it. And that's when this physiological issue started to manifest, right? What was the moment when you said no deal? where you said, this is not the way I'm going to keep going forward. So that was actually unintended. It was um, just me throwing myself in cold water and just doing 180. A friend of mine who's a pediatrician, amazing researcher, also lives with type 1 diabetes. She's one of my closest friends and we had a catch-up haven't seen each other for a long time. And I knew that they had gotten a big grant for a research project and I was asking her about it. She was telling me how they were looking for a project manager, couldn't find one. And then she's like, Hannah. <laughs> and this was the moment where I was like, okay, this is it. I'm, I'm going finally. Like this is it where I leave corporate for now behind. And I just plunged myself into cold water being... I enter now a research world with different universities and institutions spread over five countries. That was at the end of 2019. So of course, you know what's coming next. Pandemic hits. I'm managing about 30 people across five countries throughout the pandemic in this big 1 million euro research project that's been funded from the EU. And because my friend is in it, I'm more myself because I know her and the roots were in friendship not in professional optics and what you're supposed to be right it wasn't about your professional brand and degree it was about friendship and trust exactly so I've applied this kind of trust and openness to the whole team and of course you when you talk to people only online you've never seen them in person and we're all suffering through this dark veil of the pandemic and are so insecure about what's going to happen and scared. And we're just, you know, in our meetings, talk about how we're feeling, who had a friend, the friends who had COVID, how did they do? Oh my God, how we're we feeling. And through all of this vulnerability and openness, all of a sudden I started tapping into this potential of a safe, non-toxic work environment where people are talking about how they're feeling, where people are talking about like, oh, my dad is sick. I'm, I'm really, really worried. It, I don't know if I should work today or not. And I'm like, please just turn off your laptop, go and see your dad. It's way more than important. And I take it they're still highly productive and they're still high performance and they're still getting the job done. Absolutely. In fact, maybe more so. And so emerging from that dark forest, all of these rules that you were given about how to show up and what you needed to be, what it meant to be 
strong, what it meant to be professional, they're falling away is the picture I have. These are not actually the answer. In fact, they're holding us back from what is truly possible if we just incorporate feelings into the professional experience. Am I close there? Yeah, 100%. We've delivered this very big research project very successfully. I think there were like 18 publications that we got out of it Mm. with um, very high-profile journals out there. And... Some of us still talk to each other, work together. We're always plotting on how we can get back together because we had such a blast. But you know, as it is with projects that they are not meant to last. So transient, yeah. It eventually finished. But I think despite COVID and everything sort of shutting down, we were so successful in what we did. Hannah, I have a question. (laughs) Shoot. So... As projects are, you just said they're transient and away you go, right? Or on to other things. How many of those teammates do you still keep in contact with? Very closely. Well, definitely my friend. (laughs) And um, another two, three people, four people. But you keep tabs on them. You You have a personal relationship on top of the professional relationship. Yes. And if this had been a traditional big four consultancy house project, we would have been around these other people, all with our shields up, right? The project would end and what would happen? We would, they would sink back into the background. We would never talk to them again and and big deal, right? They were just walk-on extras in our lives for a while and away they go. You're opening something for me because one of the things that's always been kind of natural to me, I guess, is I maintain relationships with people from my very first jobs and I reach out to them and we're quite close and the rest of it. And maybe it was because I'll just share a little bit about, about myself. I went through a period where, you know, I was a heavy kid. Uh, I wasn't obese by today's standards, but I just was broad and endomorphic and, and, you know, it always played sports and whatever, but I was always the, the big one. So I would either get challenged to fights because I was the one to knock down or try to, Or I was the one that was a little bit different and so, you know, easy to pick on. And I countered that with, with being the class clown for years and doing things like that. Like that's, that was my compensation. And maybe I still do that. I don't know. But, um, you know, I was quite at peace with that. I remember at a fairly young age, this moment where I was kind of fatigued about trying to be somebody for somebody else. And I just said, you know what? I'm just going to be myself and they can take me or leave me. And that kind of always carried in. And so maybe it was some sort of rebellion or maybe it was some sort of, I don't know, selective learning, but I never put a lot of stake in social orders, right? probably something that's helped me now because I go up and I deal with senior executives and I don't have a heck of a lot of fear. You know, I go up and I just, I like, these are people, they put their pants on one leg at a time. Everybody poops, everybody pees. We're all human beings. Like don't act like you don't. Um, so at some point we just go and we, I meet with them on that level. I start with them on that level, but I've had relationships last for decades long after 
long after we close out the work. And we talk about all this struggle that certain people have maintaining client bases and, and being, you know, validated in the eyes of others and the rest of it. And at the same time, if we're whole, and I'm, I'm saying there's a very real nugget for people who are listening to incorporate into their own personal brands or their own ideas of growth. Think what becomes possible if we connect with people on an emotional level where they actually see us as human beings and care about us. We care about them. It makes a lot of the professional stuff just so much easier. I don't think we can really tack a lot of, we could probably not identify a lot of professional sports teams that don't have some degree of care for one another, right? So anyway, that's one of the things that you're ringing for me is that you stumbled on a, a way to create deep and lasting relations with people that can't be based on transactional means. Because then it's only good, well, you're good for me, rather than what about when I'm good for you? Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Taking over a little bit there. Apologies. But how does that sound? Am I on your wavelength? Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you. And I mean, this journey I've been on is fairly recent. So it's been kind of since 2019, since I'm on this journey. And maybe since maybe last year when I'm fully consciously leaning into it and seeing that it's a strength as a leader or as a person that wants to be a leader to tap into this potential and be your true self and be open and vulnerable. It is to be soft is not a weakness. This is something that I've been told my whole life by also my dad is, uh, God, you're so soft, how are you going to make it? But actually being soft, you are so courageous and you're so brave to be soft in a hard world that is out there. And with all of the softness and that light you're sharing, you're going to touch so many more people out there and they are going to remember you. They're going to look out for you when you need, need it the most. They will be there for you and be it the people that are your friends and your family and your chosen family. I'm all about the chosen family, but also people at work, they will have your back when you cannot be your 110% super power energetic woman or person to perform. They will have your back and they will pick up your slack and they will be there for you. So I feel... You can only win by putting yourself out there. This has been proved again and again and again. And I mean, I remember back in oh, mid-2010s working with several groups that are doing mega projects where there are several different contractors, some of them competitors, coming together to deliver large, very large projects. And the historical tendency is that these mega projects, when we're talking about in excess of two, $3 billion, they are prone to providers underbussing one and each other, hamstringing one another, because if I can make my competitor look bad, then I'll get more of the work kind of thing, right? And they also are the ones that tend to be overspent, they've blown their schedules, and they tend to result in a lot of litigations and changes and things like this. And it goes way back, you know, we see a whole bunch of behaviors that come out of that. They underbid and then disappoint the client later and all sorts of things. 
well, we sought out to change this. And so we started to really get into not just collaborative contracting, but collaboration at, from and teamwork from the start. And so in two-year projects, we would see competitors, instead of looking for opportunities to underbus their project colleague, to actually get to have opportunities to stand them up, even when it might have slowed themselves down, they were more communal and said, so we can get the entire project done. It doesn't make any sense for us to move faster because we're not on the critical path. You are. So what can we do to help? They would lend resources. They would lend people. They may have received materials first. They would give those materials over, trusting that they would be replaced with the competitor's order when it finally came in if it was delayed. What happened? We had a team that came to the end and we had very seasoned workers that had been doing this work for three decades that said, I have never worked on a project like this. And I've never felt that the entire team has my back. And we had young workers with new families saying, I feel like they're telling me to be safe and they mean it. And they really care whether or not I get back to my family safe. And I remember this one young woman, she was probably 27, right at the beginning of her career. And she came from a difficult personal life. And she was out in this remote location working with these groups of strangers. And she said, you know, I come back to this place and it feels like a family. I, I miss this place when I go. I mean, she was there for two, three years and she meant it. She meant every single word of it because not only was it stable from a cultural perspective, but emotionally it was so supportive and she really felt like people had their back. And I remember this other young professional woman said at the very end, she had the very last word and she said, it's not goodbye. It's see you later. And she really meant that. And she, I've talked to her since, and she's carried so many good relationships forward with her. So it's just so inspiring to see those types of people have those experiences. And that's what we're at the root of here in a sense. And you're helping to illustrate is just that there is so much personal potential. If we let the tears flow when they need to flow and we deal with them when they're happening. Yeah. Well said. Uh, Tell us, yeah, and a little, sorry, you're just bringing up so much for me that it's like, it's really quite, quite great. Can you tell me, please, what are the things that you're working on right now? Because you've got also some new chapters in your story that have been opened because of these realizations. I would love for you to share that because I'm so excited for you. Oh, thank you so much. Yes. So with leaning into all of the potential of feelings and the power of it, I wanted to make t-shirts for myself mm. with emotional messaging on it and just, you know, proudly, boldly walk around there in the world on the beach in Cayman Island or in the streets of Berlin where I used to live, just to kind of blast it into people's faces. Like, hey, you know, um, feel your feelings. And then my husband was like, nah, you, you can't do that. You, you really need to make a web shop and put it out there for people to buy them and for people to also wear them if they want to. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I actually sat down and I've never done anything like that before. And I built my little Shopify online shop and designed a t-shirt with a, a beautiful friend of mine from London, who's a designer as well. Big shout out to Sam. And we came up with 
this T-shirt that we actually managed to launch um, on the 10th of October, which is World Mental Health Day. And it reads very, very big on the back. How are you feeling? Because oftentimes, you know, number one, we don't take the time to check in with ourselves. And oftentimes we get the, how are you feeling? Good and you? Yeah, well, good. Bye. Okay, ciao. But no, we want to give you a moment to take a moment, take a breath and just really think about how are you feeling right in this moment? So hopefully in the future, there's going to be more t-shirts definitely with big, bold messaging around feelings. And maybe people are interested to also boldly wear their feelings on their sleeves and just join that movement of giving feelings and emotion that stage that they deserve, the attention that they deserve, and tap into that superpower that our feelings are. So to step back through your story, from the little girl in the dark forest that was bottled up, through the university student that found a new voice, through the professional consultant that was back in the dark forest and a little bit bottled up, through the person that took advantage of a friend's kindness and found a new voice, we now see this emergence of Hannah who is going to grab the world with this vision of having people literally wear their hearts, maybe not on their sleeves, but on their backs, and create and really fight for a new standard of what it means when we ask a person, hey, how are you doing? Or what are you feeling? Or how's it going today? To have the space to actually deal with that for real, rather than to just steamroll past it into what I'm really asking, which is, did you get that TPS report? completed or something, right? <laughs> so there's some room for emotion here and sharing your belief that so much good stuff is opened when we make this part of us, not just when we wear it. We wear it, literally wear it. Yeah, 100%. And it's not just about having done this and hopefully encouraging people to also sign up to this mission of making the world a more feeling place but also the proceeds are going to a good cause. So I've chosen a charity that's very close to my heart in Zimbabwe. It's called Friendship Bench Zimbabwe, and there is no access to mental health services. So what it does, they're training community workers to give evidence-based counseling to people who really need it by just using WhatsApp and booking in an appointment with a community worker who you then meet on a bench and you can talk about your depression, your anxiety, any struggles you're going through, suicidal thoughts even. And I think it's so, so impactful and so, so important that in places without access, something like this exists. So very passionate about this as well. And it just kind of aligns very beautifully as well with the mission that Outer Earthlings, so this is my little t-shirt company. I was about to prompt you to make sure you give us yes, that name. Uh, it's called Outer Earthlings, which is actually a German word for Außerirdisch, so an alien, but it's a literal translation of it, an outer earthling. So it's about you coming out of your shell and sharing your feelings. So it very much Friendship Bench Zimbabwe aligns a lot with our mission at Outer Earthlings and getting to people to feel more openly and honestly and vulnerably. So yeah, very excited about that. 
anybody who knows me knows I'm a huge fan of putting stuff on t-shirts. So I am so excited for your journey. This will not be the first and the last time you're with me if I can do anything about it, because we're going to follow up and see how things are going. And I just really want to say thank you for spending the time with me today and sharing your story so that other people can use this as a ladder to consider their own lives and where they're climbing to. I've prepared you for this, but let's go through it <laughs> once again. You've already told us about Outer Earthlings. We're going to put the link in the show notes. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way? It's probably via LinkedIn. So just by finding my name and uh, there's two Hannibal Hausens out there. Both of us are German, but one of them... Both of you are in pharmacy and and or have had experience in, in med tech. Quite similar, actually. It's quite funny. Yeah. But um, message the one that's based in Cayman Islands and you'll get to me. Otherwise, you can reach out on the website of Outer Earthlings as well, as well as our Instagram page, Outer Earthlings. And um, you're very welcome to also drop me an email anytime if you want to. And we will, of course, put all of that contact information in the notes. So that is awesome. Last question is where we wrap up. Amazing journey. Thank you for sharing with us. If you could hope for something, if you could make a wish for someone who is listening here today, what would your wish be for people that are listening here today? How would their lives be uh, improved? So if I can make a wish for the people listening today, I hope you're kind to yourself. I hope you treat yourself with compassion, but also put that kindness and compassion out there in the world. Trust your gut feeling. It's there for a reason. Tap into your superpower that are your feelings and just join me into Give into all of your muchness of who you are. You're beautiful. Yeah, be your muchness and then you can find your enoughness. And I think that that's... Now, you, now I'm crying. Great, you've done it. <laughs> I've done so well for the past hour. <laughs> oh, no. Tears are always welcome with me. So uh, thank you so much. Oh, thank uh, you, Tim. We'll, we'll... This was beautiful. Can't wait till we can do it again. Me neither. Thank you so much for listening to Sweet on Leadership. If you found today's podcast valuable, consider visiting our website and signing up for the companion newsletter. You can find the link in the show notes. If like us, you think it's important to bring new ideas and skills into the practice of leadership, please give us a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts. This helps us spread the word to other committed leaders. And you can spread the word too by sharing this with your friends, teams, and colleagues. Thanks again for listening. And be sure to tune in in two weeks' time for another episode of Sweet on Leadership. In the meantime, I'm your host, Tim Sweet, encouraging you to keep on leading.